Good. All right, let's grab our Bibles. Let's jump into God's Word this morning. We're in First uh, Peter. We're going to start chapter 5. Uh, this morning you thought this day would never come, but it is. We're in chapter 5 now. We made it to 5. Yes. If you guys are wondering uh, what's going to happen after chapter 5, well, we're just going to go into Second Peter chapter 1. So, uh, I mean, why change, th- change things up too much? We're having so much fun with Peter, so we're going to just uh, hang on to him for another book, but that will be later on down the road. Let's just start by uh, reading First uh, Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 6, 1 through, or I should say 1 through 5, but we'll really look at verses 1 to 4. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter gives to the elders of the church, the leadership of the church, a command, an urgent call to shepherd the flock of God. Peter just got done writing, as we know, as we've been studying it, from verse 12 down to verse 19. He just, he just got finished telling them not to be surprised when persecution and hardship and trials come to the church. In fact, he even says that judgment is going to begin in the household of God. And because of that, because judgment is going to begin at the household of God, he starts out, in verse 5, and he says, So I exhort the elders among you, or maybe your, your Bibles have, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, because of the judgment that is going to become, because of the hardship that is there, because of the persecution that is coming to the church, and for believers, he calls upon the elders of the church to shepherd the flock of God. Times of persecution demand that God's people have adequate spiritual leadership. Purification is coming. Purification has come. Judgment has come. It begins in the house of God. And that house better have in order its leadership. Or the people will scatter. You guys have heard the statement before. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's true in the business world. It's also true in the church. The church will only advance as far and as deep and as wide as the leadership will take them. The church will only be as strong and gracious as its leadership. When a leadership, or I should say, when hardship reaches a company or when hardship reaches a church, it needs quality leadership to guide it during the storm.
he goes straight to the leadership and he calls out and calls upon the leadership to do their job. And the primary verb here in this section is right there at the start of verse 2, at least in my Bible, it's the start of verse 2. It is the word shepherd. Shepherd. We need to understand what a shepherd means, what it means to shepherd. It's, it's actually both a noun, can be used both as a noun and as, as a verb. Here it's the word shepherd is a verb. It's in the imperative voice, which means that it is to be done now and it is to be done continuously over and over and over again. Shepherd the flock and to, to shepherd means this to feed, to tend a flock, to keep the sheep. And the word shepherd, it's used all throughout the Bible. In fact, it's one of the themes of the Old Testament. It's used all the way back in Genesis. You guys are familiar probably with, with a, a psalm by uh, the number Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shepherding is used in the New Testament all over the place. But why is it? Why, why did God choose to use the analogy of sheep and a shepherd? It's important for us to understand this word. And I want to I talk about it this morning. Let, let's talk about sheep for a second. Sheep are one of the most helpless animals if left to themselves. They are completely dependent on their shepherd. Unlike children who grow out of dependence on their parents, sheep never grow independent of their shepherd. Sheep are dependent. They're dependent on their shepherd for survival. They're dependent on their, the shepherd for food. They're dependent on the shepherd for water. And, and the water can't be too hot or they won't drink it. It can't be too cold or they won't drink it. The shepherd would take them to a mountainside and they'll just start eating the grass and if the shepherd doesn't move them along, they'll keep eating the grass all the way down to the root and eventually just start eating the dirt. So the shepherd has to move them along into another pasture. Sheep can't decipher between a healthy plant and a poisonous one either. It's like, oh, food, eat. They need to be trimmed for overgrowth of their wool. Their wool is very greasy. It gets easily dirty from the pasture, from vegetation, from the bugs from the dirt in the air they can't clean themselves they're entirely dependent on the shepherd secondly is this sheep are defenseless <laughs> god made sheep without a fighting chance against anybody or anything their greatest defense is just to gather together in a giant herd sheep don't fight off predators have you ever seen a sheep fight before you're not seeing that on your YouTube videos you're scrolling through late at night. <laughs> sheep are easily frightened by sounds. Sheep are not agile either. They're not fast. They're easily caught by a lion, a bear, or a wolf. They're in constant need of protection. Sheep are also directionless. Sheep are prone to wander. Even if you put a sheep in the perfect conditions with the right temperature of water, the right amount of grass around them, shelter and protection, they'll still wander away. Yeah. 
and they're directionless, which means if once they wander away, they have no sense of direction to get back from where they came from. Sheep are really good at following one another. No alpha sheep, they'll just follow whatever one's out in front. In fact, this story came out of uh, Mongolia, where sheep were walking around in a perfect circle for 12 days straight, just following one another in a perfect circle. In fact, when the report came out, they didn't even know when the sheep were going to stop. They were just getting, they could be going right now. Who knows? They could just be aimlessly walking in a, in a circle, thinking they're being purposeful right now. Sheep are entirely followers. They'll only do what the other sheep do. When one strays, they all stray. Put them in a new territory and they have no idea where to go. They have no idea where they are. They're just there. They're entirely directionless. And it sounds like people in the middle of Seattle who are trying to get out, totally directionless, have no idea which way to go. How do I get home from here? Sheep only follow whatever's in front of them. An article came out out of Turkey that says this. There's a story of sheep wandering off a cliff. Then another one follows, and another one after that. The total loss was 1,500 sheep that wandered aimlessly off a cliff. (laughs) Uh, I smile because of this. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and the fall more cushioned. It's like a giant mattress after a while. It's like, down they go. (laughs) Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss ended up being over $100,000. Without a shepherd, sheep don't know where to go. They even go straight into danger, just following the next one and the next one and the next one. Lastly is this, sheep are docile. Very meek animals, humble in spirit, little to no fight, no way to feed themselves, no way to clean themselves, no way to defend themselves. And when injured, they usually just give up. Emotional sheep, that when hurt, they'll just fall to their side and lay there till their death. Rolling over, emotional. In fact, the most visible picture of a, of a shepherd and a sheep is what? With one carrying it where? Over its shoulders. Carrying the herding sheep. You might even think that God created sheep just for the analogy. (laughs) It's a perfect analogy, right? Totally dependent on our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Totally in need for our chief shepherd to feed us, to protect us, to guide us, to lead us. Jesus is the perfect shepherd, our chief shepherd, and he tells us exactly what it means to shepherd, what it means to care for sheep. No one shepherds like Christ. No one feeds and protects like Christ. No one cares for his own like Christ. In fact, it was Jesus who went as far as to die for his own sheep. We just read about in Hebrews. 
I want you to turn to, to John chapter 10. You guys thought we were going to be in 1 Peter, but we're actually going to be in John chapter 10. I, I couldn't help myself. But to talk about the chief shepherd before we talk about the under shepherds. In John chapter 10 is the description of Jesus being the good shepherd. The entire chapter is dedicated to this. And we have to talk about the good shepherd. We have to set the standard, right? The standard is not human beings or the greatest leader here on earth. The standard is Jesus Christ. When we look to shepherding and sheep, we look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus in John chapter 10 to know how to shepherd. And there's seven characteristics here of the good shepherd that I want to walk us through. And number one is this. The good shepherd protects his sheep. Look at verse 1, John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Look down in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. This is what shepherds do. They, they protect their sheep. They protect them from predators. They protect them from the enemy. They protect them from thieves. They protect them from robbers. They protect them from those, as it says here in verse 1, those who are, who are crawling over the backside of the wall to get into the pen to overtake the sheep. But it says here, too, that the hired hand, the guy that's getting paid an hourly wage to come watch the sheep, they're not his sheep, so he could care less if the robber comes. He could care less if the lion comes. They're just going to run. Cares nothing of a sheep. They're not going to protect the sheep. Only the shepherd would, because this is what a shepherd does. He becomes a, a masterful watchman. Protecting his own and... Here he's even speaking of, Jesus would be speaking of even those who are, or the analogy would take us all the way to the point of those who are false, false teachers and false leaders who would try to come into the sheepfold, come, come uh, uh, covered in, in wolf's clothing to deceive the sheep. Sneaking into the fold, false teachers, taking advantage of the sheep. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16, he says this, Beware of the false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. He's saying this, that there are going to be those who are going to come into the fold who are deceiving the sheep. Teaching false theology for their own gain. Wanting to take full advantage of the sheep. And, and they would even use scripture to deceive the sheep. And it's the job of the shepherd to pull out the, uh, the staff. And to go defend the sheep in that case. Because a hired hand won't do it. This is what a shepherd does. 
The shepherd protects his own. Number two is this. The good shepherd calls his sheep. The good shepherd calls his sheep. Verse 2 says, when he enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is the effectual call of the believer. When Christ calls the sheep, they come to him. In fact, sheep would even understand and recognize the voice of the shepherd. They wouldn't recognize the voice of another shepherd. In fact, they've done this before where they would dress a shepherd up and, and put on the whole garb, and they have him stand out there and start calling the sheep, and the sheep are like, no, you're not my shepherd. I may not know where food is, but I know who my shepherd is. The recognition here of the shepherd's voice, calling his own, this again is the call of salvation, where, where Christ would call his own and the sheep know and recognize that voice and they follow him. This is a, a simple analogy here of my own children. They recognize my voice. They know my voice. It could be in a, a loud gymnasium. And I can just simply say their name, Drew, Drake, Jackson, Grace. They know my name. They recognize, uh, they not only know my name, they know my voice. They recognize my voice when they hear it above all the other voices in the gym. There's that one voice that they recognize, their father's. This is true of Christ. For his sheep, they know it, they recognize it. They can decipher from a false one and a true one. Number three is this, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Look at verse three. To him, the gatekeeper opens the door, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep, what does it say? By name. He leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Look at down in, in, in uh, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. The shepherd knows his sheep. In fact, when a shepherd would take his sheep out and they'd go grazing for the day uh, out on uh, a mountainside or, or a hillside and they'd go and eat for the day, uh, they'd come back towards the pen and, and they'd start bringing them back into the, into the fold. What the shepherd would do, the shepherd would stand at the door and he would watch as each of the sheep would carefully come in and pass by him. And as they would pass by him, the shepherd would kneel down and examine the sheep to make sure that it was okay. He would carefully take interest in every single one of them as they'd pass by into the fold because he knew if there was one who was injured, there was one who was hobbling, there was one who was, who, who was in danger, and he would go into the fold that night, that sheep may not wake up in the morning. And so he would carefully examine every single one of them as they would come in, and he would know every single one of them by name. He would know the needs of the sheep. He would know their weaknesses. He would know their blind spots. He would have interacted with them. He was careful to know them. He was willing to help them. 
This makes me think of, a, of Psalm 139, and the men just studied this on Thursday in, a, in our Bible study uh, in the morning about the intimate knowledge that God has for each one of us. He knows us so well. He knows the words that come out of our mouth before we speak them. He knows the thoughts in our head before we even think them. He knows our actions. It says he knows when we stand, when we sit. It even says that he has bookended our life from beginning to end, and, and all the days have been accounted, accounted for. Each one of them, in each of our lives, how well Christ knows each one of us. Because this is what a shepherd does. He, he knows the sheep. He knows them personally. Number four, then, is this. The good shepherd leads his sheep. Verse four said it. When, we, when he has brought out all of his own, he, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And what? They follow me. This is what shepherds do. Shepherds lead Shepherds go out in front. Shepherding is leadership. You could call it the shepherd leader if you want. This is the role of an elder. They are, they are shepherd leaders. They're not CEO leaders. They're not executive leaders. They're shepherd leaders. They go before their sheep and they lead them along the path. And where the shepherd would go, the, the sheep would follow leading them again to green pastures, leading them to still waters. There's another method that you could use, and maybe you've seen this before, of, of guiding sheep, and that is uh, with a sheepdog. What sheepdogs do and what they're trained to do is to, is to herd the sheep and to guide the sheep and to, to corral the sheep from behind and to, to push them where they want them to go. Driving them pressing in on them, really in a, a demanding and domineering type of leadership. But that's not the way Christ leads. The good shepherd is always out in front of his own, choosing the path, looking for danger, walking in front, choosing the best path for the sheep. Christ, our, our shepherd, our chief shepherd, is always out in front of us. He's never behind us, prodding us along, poking us dominating us, pressing us. No, he's always out in front and we always follow his lead. There's a story here of a group of tourists in Italy who had been informed by their Israeli tour guide after observing a flock of, the, of their shepherd the, that shepherds always lead their flock from the front. He told his attentive listener that they never drive the sheep from behind. A short time later, they drove past the flock along the road where the shepherd was walking behind them. Tourist quickly called to the guide's attention. He stopped the bus to step out and have a word with the shepherd. As the guide returned and boarded the bus, he had a sheepish grin on his face and announced to his eager listeners, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. Domineering leadership, controlling leadership driving leadership, intimidation leadership. That's not how Christ shepherds. 
That's not how elders in the church are to shepherd. They always take the lead, never leading out of intimidation or fear, but leading with grace and truth and humility, setting the path for the people to follow, building the rut for the sheep to follow along. This is what shepherds do. They lead. This is what Christ does. He leads. The good shepherd leads. Number five is this. The good shepherd is the door for his sheep. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The shepherd would often take his sheep out even at nighttime. They'd be too far away from, uh, from, the, uh, from their home that they'd have to uh, be out shepherding at night and through the night. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we know this is the story of Jesus, that the shepherds were out there at night, right? It was at oftentimes where a shepherd would have to create some sort of makeshift pen because the sheep were so used to that, that he'd make some makeshift pen up against the rocks or against the caves. And what the shepherd would do then for the sheep to enter into the pen is the shepherd would lay down in front of the doorway. And the sheep would jump over the shepherd to get into the pen, signifying safety and protection. They knew going over the shepherd that this was a safe place for them to spend the evening. Literally, the, the, the shepherd would lay down right in front of the doorway and Jesus said this two times, I am the door, I am the door. What is he saying? He's saying this, the entrance into protection, the entrance into safety, the entrance into salvation goes through me. I am the door. There is no other door. There is not a side door. There is not a back door. There is no other door to get into heaven. There's no other door to get salvation. There's only one door. Yes, it's exclusive. Yes, there's only one way. Yes, it's through Jesus Christ. Yes, he made that very, very clear. Yes, people don't like that. But Jesus says it. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ, and you have to enter through the door. Who is the door? The door is Jesus Christ. Number six is this. The good shepherd unifies his sheep. The good shepherd unifies his sheep. Look down in verse 16, it says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What is he, what is he talking about here? Two different flocks? Does Jesus have two different flocks? No. What Jesus is talking about here is the, the first flock was the Jews, offered salvation to the Jews. The Jews clearly rejected Jesus Christ. Surely, yes, there were some who were saved out of that moment, out of that time with Christ. Not very many, but some were saved, but they were rejected. The primary recipients of salvation was the Jews, and he would take those who were believers out of the Jews, and he would turn his attention to the world, as he even said in, in the Great Commission, to go into, into the ends of the earth. And those who were saved, and he'd take those two, and he would unite them together, one body. 
one spirit, one shepherd, uniting them together as one flock. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 and 29 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to the promise. And so Jesus unifies his fold, unifies the flock. One flock, one shepherd. Number seven, the good shepherd secures his sheep. The good shepherd secures his sheep. Look what it says in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up, up again. This charge I received from my Father. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What does the shepherd do? What does Christ do to his sheep? He secures his sheep for all eternity. Not one of them will be lost. Not one of them will wander away. In fact, we're told in the parable... Uh, of the lost sheep, that Christ would go after the one and leave the 99. Christ will not allow a predator to steal his sheep. Christ will not allow a false teacher to steal his sheep. Christ will not allow anyone or anything to steal his sheep. They are his. They have been given to him by God for Christ to protect them. Listen closely. If a sheep wanders from the fold, if one of Christ's sheep wanders from the fold that are his, given by God, then Jesus Christ has failed as a shepherd. And Christ cannot fail. He cannot fail. Christ is not a fail, failure at all when it comes to shepherding his sheep. He's secured every single one of them, everything that the Father has given to him, every sheep that the Father has given to him. He has protected them. He has guided them. He knows them. And he has secured them for all eternity. He says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He does not give someone eternal life and then turn around and take it from them. He does not take them from darkness into the light and then allow them to go back into the darkness. To do that and to say that is to say that Christ has failed in protecting his own and securing his own. In fact, listen to what it says in John chapter 6 and verse 38 and 39. It says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my, my own will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. Of all that has been given to me, but will raise it up on the last day. This is the, 
security of the great shepherd that is over you. Isn't this a wonderful doctrine? Isn't this a wonderful truth that God will be the faithful one to protect you, to guide you, that when you wander, he will go after you. He will chase you down just like he did to Jonah when Jonah was like, no, God, I'm going to deliberately disobey you. And God went after him, chased him down, brought him back and used him for the glory of God. Isn't this true of Peter when Peter denied Christ three times that he went and restored Peter back to the faith? This is what a shepherd does. He secures his sheep. And we rest in that security. We obey in that security. We love Christ even more because of the assurance that we have that our shepherd will take care of us and hold us and secure us. That he will lose nothing. What a great motivation that is. I love the song that we sing. I just put the words up there because it's so good. It says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last. This is the character of our faithful, good, chief shepherd. And when Peter writes this, I have to believe that this is in his mind as he would be one of the disciples. In fact, one of the inner three was Christ as he would hear these things, thinking about these things. He'd come to this point where there's trouble and there's hardship amongst believers. And what does he do? He looks to the leadership and he says, here's what I need you to do, elders. You ready? Go shepherd your sheep. Go shepherd your sheep. He doesn't say to them, hey, here's what I need you to do. Go teach them. He doesn't say preach the word to them. He doesn't say counsel them. He doesn't say go evangelize. He doesn't say any of those things. What does he say? He says this, go shepherd your sheep. Go care for them. They need you. You Take the example of Christ and how he would shepherd his own and care for them. Well, that kind of sets the framework for us. Next week, we'll get into some more of the details. If you want an outline for what to look for next, we're going to see the primary work, the motivating conduct, and then the future reward for the elders within the church. Let me pray for us, and 
we'll spend some time here in communion with the time that we have left this morning. It's really a perfect time for us to consider the cross, consider what God has done for us. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you have established for us the communion table. What a great reminder to to even hold in our hand, to taste in our mouths, to use all the senses that you've given to us as, as humans to remind us of what you've done for us. You died on the cross. You forgave us of our sins. You took on the full wrath of God that we deserve. Because of that, you've granted to us eternal life and a home in glory. Lord, may our hearts forever be thankful. May our hearts be forever motivated with the desire to follow you, our good shepherd, the path that you have led for us that will involve rocky mountains, will involve deep valleys, hardship, pain, blessing and joys and all of it, Lord, and help us to maintain the path, always setting our sights and our eyes on you, knowing that you will hold us fast in the midst of difficulty. One day be united with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.